0: the theories different together and we've looked at um, differences in culture, differences in skin color tone, differences in all sorts. Today we're looking at the rich and the poor doing life together or can they? We'll see what the Bible has to say about that and our text is taken from the book of James. James is a very practical penetrating book. He is very clear. He leaves very little to our imagination. James is like a head a school headmaster. And I don't know if you've had that experience but back in my secondary school days in a boarding school every Sunday we had to dress up all white. Our beds made up, and we had to stand by our beds, and the headmaster would come around and just do an inspection. And you just hope nothing has gone wrong. And the book of James is like that. As you read through it, you just feel you hope he doesn't find you wanting. Or maybe when you were a teenager, you were asked to go and clean your room, and mom or dad came along to inspect your room. And maybe they just use your finger to just swipe the windowsill, and you were just there quivering, hoping there would be no dust on mom's fingertip. But that's the book of James. The theme of the book is a plea for authenticity. That is James. Real faith, according to James, should lead to authenticity. What he means is if you are rooted in Christ, then this is the behavior that should flow out of it. So effectively, if you're behaving in a way which is at odds with your professional faith, James has some questions to ask. So as we look at this whole issue of the rich and the poor living together, we'll see how James approaches this issue of doing life together and our text is taken from James chapter 2 reading from 1 to 13 and I read my brethren do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism for if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dress in fine clothes and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes and you, say, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren did not god choose the poor of the world of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him but you have dishonored the poor is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called if however you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture you shall, love, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law so so speak and so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty for judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy mercy triumphs over judgment shall we pray father thank you for your immute, immutable indivisible word. Thank you, Lord, that it brings life. And Lord, I pray that as we hear your word, that you give us the grace to be able to align ourselves to what it commands. Fill this place with your presence, I ask. In the name of Jesus, amen. See how James opens up the text. He says, If you profess faith in Christ, you cannot be partial. The authenticity issue again. How do you profess faith in Christ and show partiality? He literally concludes his argument before he even starts. But in his text, James makes three basic arguments that if you show favoritism to the poor and contempt for the poor, you are, number one, usurping God's authority, God's sovereignty. His second argument is that if you show favoritism to the poor and contempt for the poor, you show favoritism to the rich and contempt for the poor, you are effectively aligning yourself with God's enemies. That's tough. But we'll see why in a minute. And finally, he says, if you are partial, you are violating God's royal law of love. Why does James say, if you show favoritism to the rich, you are usurping God's sovereignty. Paul the apostle picks up on the same theme in 1 Corinthians 4, 4 verse 7. Paul writes, For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? What is Paul saying here? If the basis for showing favoritism to the rich is their wealth, their possessions, or their status, Paul is saying, did not God give them those things? So then if we are doing that, we are robbing God of the praise and the honor that is due God, and we are heaping it on the people God has blessed So James is saying, if we show favoritism, we are robbing God of his glory. We are usurping his sovereignty. It is very easy to succumb to this temptation. If you take our love affair, for instance, with celebrity endorsement, Where we have very famous people who give or lend their names to all kinds of products. Something they don't even have any expertise in. But somehow we we get caught up and we agree with it. A favorite person who comes to mind whilst preparing for this is David Beckham. A very fine athlete, I must say. You might not like his football, but he's a great athlete. A face that is well known around the world. I checked and he's endorsed about nine products. The police sunglasses, H&M clothing line, Rage software, Gillette. But that's what fascinates me. Because David Beckham very often keeps a stubble on his face. He hardly shaves. So then I'm trying to compute in my head, where is the connection here? Here is a guy who doesn't shave. I mean, that's the way he likes to look. Good for him. So why, why has he lent his name to Gillette Razor and the and shaving cream when he doesn't do that? But somehow it works. Somehow it works. So it's a a temptation which stalks all of us. And James is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. And when we also show discrimination in this way, James goes on to say, "We we are setting ourselves up as judges with very little information. And we do that very often with the wrong motives. James' James's argument number two, you'll find in verses six to seven. He goes on to argue that partiality is wrong because when you do so, you are aligning yourself with the enemies of God. Because of greed and selfishness, probably in every culture, you find the wealthy tend to... Take advantage of those who are helplessly poor. But what does God say about the poor? Right through Scripture, you hear God come along and say, take care of the poor. He said to the people of Israel, do not neglect the poor, do not neglect the widow, do not neglect the fatherless. And that's God's passion. God cares deeply about the poor and so should we in Proverbs 14 the Bible says whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt toward God that is a very strong, strong word if you oppress the poor you are showing contempt for God, what, why is that? because we are all created in God's image Regardless of your station in life, regardless of who you are, rich, poor, whoever you are, you are created in God's image. So if you, are show, if you are oppressing any particular person for whatever reason, God doesn't like that. And it's a place you don't want to be. You don't want to take, you don't want to contend with God, do you? So that is what Proverbs says here. In Proverbs 19, 17, it goes on to say that whoever lends to God, whoever blesses the poor, whoever lends to the poor, gives to the poor, lends to God. I've thought about it very carefully and I'm still trying to figure out why God would say that. That is how passionate God is. Concern. For the welfare and the rights of the poor, to the point that he almost cuts a deal with us. Bless the poor, and I owe you. I'll pay you. But that shouldn't be the motivation for us being a blessing to the poor. But that is God here. He feels for the poor. So, rather than build walls of partition separating the rich from the poor, God says, no, tear those walls down and do life together. And in the example James gives in the text, he describes the rich as people who adorn fine linen and had very big rings on their fingers. I mean, his audience of the day would have understood clearly the people he was referring to. Because back in the day, that kind of dress code was the prerogative of the equestrian class. These were very privileged people. So if you saw them, you just could tell, ah, that's a rich man there. Not very easy today because we are more, a bit more subtle now. I mean, you could be sitting next to a millionaire. You, you don't know it. I could be in Reebok trousers, driving maybe a, a Ford Fiesta. No, sorry, if you drive a Ford Fiesta. <laughs> I don't mean to be horrible, but you get my point. I could be driving that and still have a very healthy bank account. Alternative, that could be dry, driving a Ferrari, and that means nothing. So we're a bit more subtle now. It's not easy to tell who has money, who doesn't. But back in the day, they had to distinguish themselves and reveal their class status. So we we are invited to share our lives, to be a blessing. And the liberal soul, the Bible says, shall be made fat. Amen. And let me say this quickly. You will be forgiven if you came away thinking... Maybe James is saying rich people are categorically evil or wicked and poor people are inherently good. No, 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 no. He's not saying that at all, you see. And there is this thinking which casts Jesus also as someone who shunned or avoided wealth and embraced poverty. The gospel stories tell a far more subtle or very nuanced message. Jesus was comfortable in the company of the rich and the poor. He did life together with Zacchaeus, if you remember. And Zacchaeus, we are told, was a very wealthy man. Jesus was comfortable with rich people. Anytime Jesus encountered a person, rich or poor, he addressed them, engaged with them on the basis of their common humanity. You see, the reason I say God is not against wealth, he blessed the Jewish patriarchs, didn't he? Abraham was a very rich man, we're told. Isaac. Isaac. Jacob, he made Solomon a very, very wealthy man. So God is not against us making money. What he is against is when we hold it and keep it. You're probably there wondering, "Mm, I'm not that rich. I don't have money. And I'll I'll wait till I'm okay, and and then I'll, I'll be a blessing to the poor. But the question I throw back at us is this. How much is rich? Or how little is poor? The Bible doesn't give us a figure. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul, writing to the believers in Corinth, makes a big boast about the generous giving of the Macedonian churches. And he goes on to say, these are people who gave out of their need. They didn't give out of their abundance. They gave out of their need. And Paul is so impressed. In Mark 12, Jesus goes to church. I mean, they didn't have churches then. It was the temple. And he positions himself... Not far from where they were putting in their offering, so he could see everything. And people came and put money in the treasury, and there was a widow who also came and put in two copper coins, two very small copper coins. And Jesus says, Of all those who gave, this woman gave more than all, because he gave out of she gave out of her need. So then my question is, how much is rich, how little is poor? That is not the issue here. The point is, we are called to share whatever we have. However little, however plentiful. Obviously, the more you have, the more you can bless with. See? Because like I said, God is not against us making money. It's when we keep it, when we hold it. Because in 1 John 3:17, the apostle says, what good is it if you have the whole world's goods and a, a, a brother or a sister comes to you saying, oh, I have this need in my life, and you say, sorry, God bless you, I hope you get it fixed. So where, he goes on to ask, A rhetorical question. Where is the love of God in you? If that's the attitude you show toward those in need, even though you have so much to give. We are called to do life together. And Jesus is our ultimate example. In Philippians 2, we are told Jesus, being himself God, that wasn't anything. that was subject to any argument. But he emptied himself, he gave up all of that glory and came into this world, took the form of humanity and did life together with us. In John's gospel, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And was obedient to the Father even unto death. And today we have this union life with Christ. We do life with him. Very different, but together with us. That is the ultimate example. Humanly speaking, I was looking just to pick out. I mean, there are people who've done some very heroic things in this world. Who've given up everything. They've sacrificed everything. For others. And I picked up this Belgian Catholic priest called Father Damien. He was born Jeff Devoster in eighteen forty. And he went on a mission expedition. In Hawaii. There he heard about people who had contracted leprosy and had been completely separated from mainstream life, confined to this island called Molokai, one of eight islands that make up Hawaii. He said he was going there to just check them out, maybe spend three months there, you know, bless them. He went there and the conditions these people were under were atrocious, so horrible, forgotten about, just left there, hopefully to succumb to the disease. And Father Damien spent time ministering to them, blessing them, touching them, those who wouldn't be touched. He could have stayed in Belgium and enjoyed his life. We watched this man choosing to do life together with with people who were completely different from him. He planted trees on the island just to break the wind gust that was lashing across the island. He helped them build houses. They painted all the structures they have there. He was a real blessing. And then one day, He scalded himself, hot water poured on his foot, and he felt no pain, and he knew he had contracted the same disease. Did he pack up and go back to Belgium? No. He stayed and continued to bless them and minister to them until finally He succumbed to the disease. He died. Was buried on the island. In 1936, the Belgian government said, this is one of our heroes. We want his body back. So they exhumed his remains from the island, taken back to Belgium, against the plea of the islanders, because they loved him, because of what he had done for them. This went on until 1995, not long ago, when the Catholic Church beatified his name because of all the work he had done with people who had contracted leprosy. And then when he was beatified, the Belgian government relented to the pleas of the islanders and decided, okay, we'll send you a piece of this This man. So they exhumed the remains of his right arm. The hand that ministered to the islanders, the hand that blessed them, they exhumed the remains of his right arm and took the remains back to Molokai, where he ministered to the lepers. And today, the the remains of the right arm are in turn in the original tomb he was buried in. Very moving story. And while I was reading it, the question which kept coming to me was, is there more the Lord can do with me or through me in reaching out to the poor? And the answer which comes to me is yes, there is room for improvement. And I guess I say the same for all of us here. There is room for improvement. The guy's story is so fascinating, and remarkable, he is called the martyr of charity, doing charity work, which eventually kills him. He could have just caught it off, gone back to his homeland. He did not. He stayed with them, sharing life together. James's third argument is against why partiality is wrong is that it violates God's royal law of love, which is what? That we love our neighbor as we would ourselves. And I tell you, if we could do that, I'm sure about 97% of the world's problems will be just like that, gone. And Jesus gave that as one of two commandments, that we love God with all our hearts, with all our strength, with all our minds and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And he said, on these two laws, everything flows out of. So James is saying, if we show favoritism towards the rich and show contempt for the poor, we are violating this rule. And I don't want to set myself against God. And finally, with this, I close. Andy, our senior pastor, kicked this series off with an illustration of a triangle, if we have that, with Christ at the top and us at the base. So whatever the difference between us, As we move towards Christ, who is at the apex of the triangle, our differences shrink and get smaller and smaller until when we get into Christ, the differences all get into Christ. By definition, we are the body of Christ. He is the head. We are the body. Different but together in that one man, the Lord Jesus. So as we bring this series to a a conclusion, it's what I want to leave with us. I mean, it was a brilliant illustration. I thought I'll bring it back. And that sums up what we've been talking about. God has created us different for a reason. Because if you look, if you read, Revelation I don't know if it's chapter seven, where John is giving a sneak preview into the age to come. The differences are there in language, in different people and cultures. but these are things to enrich us. all one in Christ. So as we go into our time of ministration, the one thing which comes to me repeatedly is this. Is there more we can do by reaching out? Is there more the Lord can do through us? I mean, here at the Riverside, the storehouse compassion ministry is huge, and for good reason. Because we want to be, we want to do life with those in our community who may be struggling. And that is what we are called to do. Now, what God has blessed us with, we open our wallet, we open our homes, we open our hearts and share. And you may be so fortunate in that God has been so gracious to you and blessed you with so much.
1: There is a temptation where what God has blessed us with can be a distraction, takes our eyes one who blessed us with the goodies, and we begin to put our trust in what he's blessed us with. Like Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the middle, for a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not making it more difficult for the rich to get into heaven.